Shabbat Shalom, everyone. You guys ready for this? We are going to begin a new series uh, called The Art of Spiritual Warfare. And I can tell you preemptively, I am more excited about going into this series, about entering and charting these waters, than I've been excited about doing any message before or any series uh, teaching before. I've never done a series, at least to this degree, that uh, I believe is going to challenge you as much as this series is going to challenge you. The nature of the things that uh, we are going to be covering uh, within this series itself, they are going to call, I'm just going to warn you right now, they are going to call for change. They're going to call for sacrifice. They are going to call for repentance. They're going to call for revival. True revival. Not a revival that's built on some emotional high that leaves as quickly as it came, but an authentic revival, a true revival. About three to four months ago, my heart has been stirred. And uh, I was actually talking to another pastor about this uh, at that time and, and just telling him what the Lord's been putting on my heart. He's been stirring my heart for revival. And I've been talking to various guys about that. I, was, I just tell them, I, this needs to happen. I want revival. This is what I want. I want revival in this community. I want revival in this nation. And revival throughout the world. In Jerusalem. I want revival. And what's amazing is, is you know, talk about, Lord, what, what am I going to do? What, what, how do we approach this? To stir this, to ignite this, to light the match, throw it on the gas. And burn the place down. How do we do this? And what's amazing is, literally within weeks, the Lord gave me the art of spiritual warfare. This is, this is what's going to be the match that ignites the gas. And i got to tell you, I, I, I truly believe this. Once we get through this series, I don't believe this community is going to be the same ever again. That's the expectation. I mean, powerful, powerful expectation where the Holy Spirit is moving, it is on fire, where it changes, radically changes you so much. It's not just about you breaking the chains and breaking bondages in your life and addictions, but there will be such life coming out of you, you will give life to others through the Messiah, Yeshua. This is what we want. This is what we need to crave. Amen? Amen. Before we get into today's message, I want to let you know that um, today, you know, if you, most of you know me and you know my modus operandi, how I operate, I like to start out slow. I like to lay a foundation. Well, today is going to be laying a foundation. I really just want to kind of step back and give you an eschatological overview of what has happened in the history of our age. Things that have transpired that have literally set the stage for what we are experiencing today. Very, very important things. Things that make up the reality that is unseen. The reality that people don't know about or refuse to acknowledge. With that said, I want to open up today, taking you to the book of Bereshit or Genesis. I want to go back to the beginning. I like to do that. And I want to show you that from the very beginning, we need to understand. Mankind, God's precious creation, has been at war. Do you understand? From the very beginning, we have gone to war. What happened? Go back to the garden. 
Adam and Eve, keep in mind, immortal. They were in the immortal state. They were not in a fallen state, a sinful state. They were immortal, never to die. And what happened? An adversary rose up against them. To do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. And what happened in that battle? They lost. We wouldn't say they lost the war. They lost the battle. The adversary, what he came to do, he accomplished. He took them out. They received the curse of God. God cast them out of the garden, away from his presence. You just think about that. From the very beginning, we have been at war. And unfortunately, I can tell you this, the intensity of this war, the attacks, the deception, the afflictions, the oppressions, it didn't end in the Garden of Eden. Actually, as we continue throughout Scripture, and we don't have to go very far, we actually find things got worse. The attacks got more intense. If we just jump ahead to three chapters, to chapter 6 in Genesis, we read about something very, very peculiar. And this is something we covered not too long ago, but we're going to go into much greater depth today. In Genesis 6.1, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, and the sons of God being the angels of heaven, Okay, these are the angels of heaven. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he indeed is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Moving on to verse 4. There were giants on the earth in those days. And I want to stop. The giants being referred to, as we covered not too long ago, is in fact the Nephilim. And it simply means the Nephilim are the giants, they're bullies is the definition. They're tyrants. It's interesting if you go to the root of Nephilim, Nephal, you know what it means? It's very significant when you consider the future of the giants and the reality of them. It means to fail. That's what it means. Nephal means to fail or to fall, as in battle. Aptly named, I think. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward where the sons of God came to the daughters of, came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So here we're told that the angels from heaven, let's just look at this story, they descend down to earth, they join themselves to women. The product of this joining together is that these women give birth to the Nephilim, they give birth to the giants. Now, I want you to ask yourself, what just happened here? You might say, well, Daniel, it's really simple. You just told us. It's real simple. Angels came down, mated with women, bada bing, bada bang, we got giants running everywhere. It's real simple. I want you to understand there is so much more that you need to appreciate out of this event. So much more. The spiritual realm, you need to understand this, the spiritual realm that was to maintain its status that was sanctified and separate by God, meaning, in other words, the angelic beings, they were forbidden by God to do what they did. It was lawless. These angels came down lawlessly, crossed the line, the border that God had established, and performed this act. And I want you to really consider what just happened. We just fused the spiritual realm 
into the physical realm. They coincided in a way that is abhorrent. This is, you think of GMOs. This was a GMO gone really, really bad. Okay? Now, I want to, I want to shed some further light on this to help you appreciate this. And to do so, I'm going to need to take you to the book of Enoch. Uh, because of, as, as most of you already know, the, the book of Enoch actually records uh, the angels coming down with women. It records it in detail. And there are some details here that I absolutely need you to see because they directly pertain to the art of spiritual warfare. They pertain to things that we are dealing with today. And so before we do this... Um, to be a gentleman, it's always important for me to add the disclaimer. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the book of Enoch, don't go running out the doors yet. Hang tight for a second. Um, I just want to discuss, give you a little background of the book of Enoch. Number one, the book of Enoch is actually quoted in the New Testament. And we find this in Jude, and, and this is what Jude says. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. This is almost verbatim a direct quote from Enoch 1.9, which I'll put up for you. And behold, he cometh with ten thousands of his holy ones. It's a direct quote. Now, I do want to point out something else about the book of Enoch that's very important. The fact that it is quoted uh, indirectly, the fact that it is actually in the New Testament, if you will, indirectly, um, Understand the context by which Jude quotes the verse. You see the context? Let me point out a word that's very important. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Prophesied. How did Jude view the book of Enoch? And at the very least, one would have to argue this passage in Enoch. He viewed it as inspired. Now, that's something you've got to wrestle with on your own. I'm not here to debate Enoch today. Uh, we can do that uh, some other time. But we know from our New Testament, which I uphold as Scripture, the authentic Word of God, the New Testament writers upheld it as inspired. That's, that's, that's pretty intense. Um, not just that, but we also find it within the Dead Sea Scrolls. So as a whole, uh, you, you, you look at all these different seferim, all these different books, these scrolls that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls from the Bible, from the Tanakh, and what did you find laying next to it? You found the book of Enoch, or Hanoch. This is what you found. And multiple copies, by the way. It wasn't just one little tiny fragment. Uh, there were multiple copies of Enoch found within the Dead Sea Scrolls. So with that disclaimer out of the way, I want to take you to the book of Enoch and uh, give you a little further background into what really happened. And we're going to go to Enoch chapter 6. And this is easy for you to remember uh, when you talk about the fall of angels, Genesis 6 records the fall of angels. Well, that's where you go to Enoch. You go to chapter 6 in Enoch as well. It's an easy way to remember that. Let's look at this. And it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied in those days, there were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the, and the angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them and said to one another, Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men and get us children. Now, I know I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but now I'm actually showing you the text to support it. Uh, uh, and that is, the angels, it wasn't just about looking down from heaven and lusting after women. They wanted something. They wanted something. They wanted 
children. They wanted something they were not given by God. They wanted offspring. And it just really makes your mind start to spin when you realize that who are we, what were we made in? We were made in the image of God. Well, what does God do? He creates. And we were made in the image of God. And we were given the power to what? Create. When men and women come together, we give birth to offspring. Of course, through the power of the living God, the Lord breathing life into them. But that's an amazing thing. The angels wanted it. Okay, continuing on to verse 6. And they were in all 200 who descended in the days of Jared on Mount, uh, in the summit of Mount Hermon. And they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. Now, I want you to notice something here. Uh, this is something very important. And that is, we're actually given a timetable as to when the angels descended from heaven. And what is that timetable? It is in the days of Jared. In the days of Jared. Who is Jared? Jared was the father of Enoch. He was the father of Hanoch. And I want to to give you some perspective here. If you go to Genesis chapter 5, what you'll find is something very fascinating. There are ten generations mentioned from the beginning to the end. And what do I mean from the beginning? From the beginning, Adam, to the end, Noah, to the destruction of the earth. There are exactly ten generations. And this is what it looks like. It's Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel. And then the sixth one is Jared, who gives birth to Enoch. Then you have Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. So from the days of Jared to Noah, this is where things really begin to fall apart. And you want to understand what brought about... This is going to come into play next week, so please remember this. This is what brought about the, the Noahide apocalypse, the destruction of the earth, because things fall apart from this point forward, from Jared on down. This is not to say that sin didn't exist. It's to say when this event took place, it came off the rails. It was intense to a degree it had never experienced. And we're going to see this as we continue. Jumping to Enoch 7.1. And all the others together with them, took unto themselves wives, and each chose for himself one. And they began to go uh, in unto them and to defile themselves with them. And they taught them, listen to this, they taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots and made them acquainted with plants. So the first thing I want to point out here is the fact that when the angels came down from heaven, they did a lot more than just take wives. It was a lot more than that. We're told here that they uh, not only uh, crossed the line uh, by taking these wives and giving birth to, the, to these children, they revealed eternal secrets that were to be retained in heaven. They were to be retained in heaven, and they gave them to man. Complete lawlessness. Again, bringing spiritual knowledge that mankind was never meant to know, giving it to them. And talk about what is it spawned? Just total corruption. In, in Deuteronomy 29, uh, 29 it, it talks about the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that have been revealed belong to us. Understand something. What the angels brought to mankind, it was not for us. The secret things, they are the Lord's. These angels betrayed the living God. This is what's going on with 
with this information and influencing mankind, which is why everything started coming off the rails. And it got so bad. Continuing on in verse 2. And they became pregnant, these fleshly women. And they bare great giants whose height was 3,000 L's who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. And they began to sin against birds, beasts, and reptiles, and fish, and to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. I want you to understand something. When I talk about it coming off the rails, you're seeing it now. Here with these birth of the Nephilim, with these giants, things started to happen that never, ever happened before. The drinking of blood. You will not find any commandment forbidding that prior to this. It's only after this. It's interesting. Go to Genesis 9. One of the first things that Noah is commanded after the destruction of the earth is what? Do not drink the blood. It's telling you something. This was fresh in the Lord's mind. Fresh what brought about the destruction of the earth. This ultimate wickedness. And so they began to drink the blood and continue on in verse 6. Then the earth laid accusation against the lawless one. Continuing on. And Azazel taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and made known to them the metals of the earth and the arts of working them and bracelets and ornaments and the use of antimony and the beautifying of the eyelids and all kinds of costly stones and all coloring tinctures. Okay, so let's, let's just recap. We've got angels who are supposed to keep their abode coming down from heaven. They're mating with women of flesh. They produce offspring... Not just that, but they reveal eternal secrets that were to be kept secret in heaven alone. What is the effect of all of this? How did this impact the world? We find out in the very next verse. And there arose much godlessness, and they committed fornication, and they were led astray and became corrupt in all their ways. This is the impact of these fallen angels from heaven. That impact was total devastation, total corruption, total destruction. So from the generation of Jared, the father of Hanoch or Enoch, the world has never been the same. In fact, let me show you how far this goes, the extent of the destruction of the offspring of these fallen angels um, that they would actually have on mankind because their influence and presence didn't get wiped away with the flood. It didn't. And most of us believe that. But I'm going to show you something very, very fascinating that you need to understand. And then we're going to get into the New Testament. I want to take you to the 15th chapter of Enoch. And this is and just the backdrop of this. The angels fell down. They sinned. They actually come. Remember, this is in the days of Jared. Well, they come to his son. They come to Jared's son, Enoch. And they ask Enoch, Enoch, will you intercede for us? That the Lord may forgive us for committing this lawlessness, for committing this wickedness. Enoch goes to the Lord to intercede on behalf. Well, the Lord responds to this. And listen to how he responds to Enoch. And he says, And he answered and said to me, and I heard his voice, Fear not, Enoch, thou righteous man and scribe of righteousness. Approach hither and hear my voice, and go say to the watchers of heaven who have sent thee to intercede for them, You should intercede for men and not men for you. What are you doing? The angels are supposed to intercede for us, and they're having to call on Enoch to intercede on their behalf. 
Continuing on in verse 3. Wherefore have ye left the high, holy, and eternal heaven, and lain with women, and defiled yourselves with the daughters of men, and taken to yourselves wives, and done like the children of earth, and begotten giants, Nephilim, as your sons. Verse 8. And now the giants who are produced from spirits and flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth. And on the earth shall be their dwelling. Evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies because they are born from men and from the holy watchers is their beginning and primal origin. They shall be evil spirits upon the earth and evil spirits they shall be called. Do you understand exactly what this just said? Because this is mind-blowing. Angels, spirit beings, come down. They mate with flesh. We have this infusing together. What happened? These women give birth to giants, to the Nephilim, men of flesh and bone. That's not all they gave birth to. Out of these Nephilim went forth evil spirits. Why? Because their parents were of the heavens and they were of the earth. Both producing spiritual fruit and fleshly fruit. That is mind-boggling. So when you understand this, when you understand the history behind this, well, this really begins to get interesting because now we fast forward to the New Testament. And what do we read about? Evil spirits, right? And Luke 7, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 21. At that very hour, Yeshua cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to blind, he gave sight. I mean, over and over again, we read this, Luke 8, 2. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. I mean, I could give you example after example of the evil spirits existing in the first century. So don't think, you know, the giants got swept away, the flesh and blown. But the ramifications and the destruction that the angels wrought and brought upon this earth is still here. The evil spirits are still here. I want you to understand something. Evil spirits and, and the term demon, these are transposable terms. The New Testament utilizes these as things. When you're talking about demons, you're talking about evil spirits. Now let me take you back to the 15th chapter of Enoch because there's something about these evil spirits I want you to know. Something, this is the very reason we have gone to the book of Enoch. It's for this purpose. Chapter 15, verse 11. And the spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle, and work destruction on the earth and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless they hunger and thirst and cause offenses. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against the women because they have proceeded from them. This is the reality of this situation, a reality that every one of us needs to be aware of. We are told evil spirits have gone out to war. And who have they come out to war against? Us. They've come out to war against us. They are coming for the men, they are coming for the women, and they are coming for the children. They are coming. They have declared war. That is their nature to come and destroy us. And let me tell you something. They will not show you mercy. Evil spirits will not show you mercy. They will afflict you. They will oppress you. They will drag you down. They come to steal, kill, and destroy. 
If we're going to talk about spiritual warfare, the first thing we need to understand, the first thing we need to establish, there is war. There is a war. It is real. Whether you want to believe it or not, war is happening. The second thing we need to establish is, well, who are we at war with? I mean, just knowing you're at war isn't very helpful. You need to know who you're at war with. There's a clever illustration that really speaks to the importance of knowing your enemy. And I want to share it with you. This goes back to a story from World War I. And this is what it says. When World War I broke out, the war, uh, the war ministry in London, they dispatched a coded message to one of the British outposts in the inaccessible areas of Africa. The message read, War declared, arrest all enemy aliens in your district. Okay, it's very straightforward. War erupted in the early 1900s, right? And so this, they, they dispatched this and they let them know, listen up, we are at war. Listen to the response that they got. The war ministry received his prompt reply. Have arrested 10 Germans, 6 Belgians, 4 Frenchmen, 2 Italians, 3 Austrians, and an American. Please advise immediately who we're at war with. <laughs> Think about that. Oh my goodness, can you imagine scrambling? Somebody telling you, hey, we're at war. Okay, you're running around in a total state of confusion. When you run around and you don't know who you're at war with, what are you? Vulnerable. You're dead, right? When you don't know who your enemy is, you have no direction. You don't have the necessary intel. You don't know anything about your enemy's power their strategy, therefore you're left completely exposed. How can you have success in war? How can you defend yourself or overcome your enemy if you have no idea who you're fighting? It's a nightmare scenario. You do not want to be in this scenario. Going back roughly to the 6th century B.C., there's a famous Chinese military strategist uh, known as Sun Zhu, and Many of his strategies come to us uh, in his work called The Art of War. How many of you read The Art of War? I'm the only one. Oh, there we go, Brian. Thank you. We've got a couple people that read The Art of War. Well, uh, this, is, this is a really popular book even today, especially in corporate America. A lot of people like to read The Art of War. Uh, that ought to tell you something about corporate America. Um, but it's considered to be very... <laughs> It slips sometimes. I'm sorry. But the book itself is considered invaluable in strategy, war strategy, brilliant proverbs, brilliant wisdom. I want to I read to you a, a portion of this book. It pertains to knowing the enemy. Very valuable for us. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, every victory gained you will also suffer defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. I'm going to tell you something right now. That is absolutely true. You don't know the enemy, you're going to go down. You will go down. What does the Apostle Paul talk about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2? We're not ignorant of his devices. He knows, read the New Testament, how much time is spent educating us on the wiles of the devil, on knowing the enemy, knowing the level of deception, knowing the level of his power. 
knowing how he moves and operates, the Torah is filled with warnings. Read Deuteronomy 13, powerful chapter. Deuteronomy 18, powerful chapter. Warning against the false prophets who would work on behalf of our enemies and true prophets who work on behalf of God. Know thy enemy. Huge component. We get into spiritual warfare, you're going to need to know the enemy. Not just that, but I'm going to tell you right now, you are going to need to know yourself. And what does that mean to know thyself? You need to know what you're fighting for. Do you even have a clue what you're fighting for? There was a story, I remember this story, about Napoleon. And Napoleon, he went into Poland, and he was restoring Poland, really considered as a hero, uh, according to the Poles. And um, while he was there, he's staying in this like country house, and his troops are there, and his troops came across some Russian soldiers. And they immediately took them captive. Uh, they took them into custody. And, of course, they do what they wanted to do. They wanted to bring them before Napoleon. And so they bring these Russian soldiers before Napoleon. And Napoleon analyzes them right away. He could tell they were very proud. They came in with their held high, you know, their head high and their chest puffed out. And they proceeded to share just how superior Russians are to Frenchmen. They convey to Napoleon the reality of the situation. And so these Russians tell them, Napoleon, we are superior in every way to you, to the, to the, to the Frenchmen. And then he goes to give an example. Why? We Russians, we fight for honor. You Frenchmen only fight for gain. To which Napoleon came back with an ingenious, very clever retort. And he said, you are right, sirs. We each fight for that which we do not possess. You think about that statement. That was a pot shot coming back at him. We each fight for that which we do not possess, indicating these Russians, they're fighting for honor because they do not possess it. There's a moral I want you to take away from that story. We are fighting for that which we do not possess yet. I'm going to tell you something. and There's been... Several times in my life, and I know you can relate, I don't think any of us would be exempt, several times in our life where we're hanging by a thread. We're hanging by a thread. I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to understand, you want to learn the art of spiritual warfare, listen to what I'm about to tell you right now. You need to know what you are fighting for. You forget what you are fighting for, you will lose. You will lose the battle. What are we fighting for? Eternal life. We are fighting for our lives. We are fighting for an eternal possession. And I promise you, you keep your eye on that prize. You keep your eye and remind yourself what you're fighting for, you will overcome. Do not forget that. Let me offer some scriptural support to this. In Psalm 27, verse 13, I would have lost heart. This is David. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David had to remind himself what he was fighting for, what he had to, why he was to overcome, because he wanted to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You want to persevere in this age? You want to make it? Remember what you're fighting for. Because the world is trying to make you forget it over and over again. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable ground, a crown, but we for an imperishable crown. This is what we're fighting for. We want that immortal crown, a crown that cannot be taken from us eternal life now he goes on to say in verse 26 therefore i run thus not with uncertainty thus i fight paul comes right out and says i fight he's at war you fight when you're at war thus i fight not as one who beats the air but i discipline my body and i bring it into subjection lest when i have preached to others i myself should become disqualified you want that crown? You're going to have to fight because an adversary, an entire kingdom has risen up against you. You better believe this kingdom is coming for you. Do you understand? They are coming for you with everything they have. And the more this reality sinks down in your heart, here's the beautiful thing, the more you're going to realize your need for Yeshua. You need the protection because you're outmatched. You do not have the strength to overcome the demonic forces that are going to come against you. You don't have it. They will make you look foolish. Apart from Yeshua, we can do nothing. We need to run under the shadow of His wing for protection. I love that Proverbs 18.10. The, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and they are saved. We need to go into the tabernacle of Yeshua, placing our faith, committing our lives to Him. Because when Yeshua rises up, who can stand? Nobody. You need Him. We cannot fight this war apart from Him. I want to share with you as we get into closing the awesome power of Yeshua. You need to have this perspective and how these evil spirits who are extremely powerful and strong, that bring men into bondage and into addictions that they can't break. I want to show you how they respond to the presence of Yeshua. In Luke 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 27, And when Yeshua stepped out on land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Yeshua, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Yeshua, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, I beg you, do not torment me. And I love Matthew's version of this very same story. Have you come here to torment us before the time? The first thing I want you to, to realize here is these demons confess their defeat. Before Yeshua, they have confessed that they are going to be defeated. This is so important. If you want to be on the winning side, read this passage. Because at the very end, I'm telling you right now, despite what the Satanists believe, that Satan's going to win this war, Yeshua is on top. Yeshua is going to win the war. And you want to be on the winning side. You want to be on the winning side. The other thing I love about this so much, when they come into the presence of Yeshua, they are groveling before Him. 
They have no power, no authority over him. And what's amazing here is Yeshua's demeanor, does he flinch? Is he scared? Does he go hide in a corner? You know, I've been in, um, I grew up, my, my parents were in deliverance ministries. And I'd go to all sorts of events. And, you know, at times, just to be honest, it was just a, a blooming circus. It was weird. You have demons running around chasing people. You have other people trying to cast out demons, and they don't have any power. You have other people sitting in the corner bawling, frightened from what's going on. Yeshua doesn't blink at evil. He doesn't even, he doesn't tremble, he doesn't shake before evil spirits, no matter how powerful they are. You need him living inside you. So you can have that same, when, when Paul says, the Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind, that's only happening when Yeshua lives in you. Because you come toe-to-toe with the enemy. I'm going to tell you right now, you don't have Yeshua, you don't have power. And you're going to cower feebly. Bad news. We're going to end here today. I'm going to do something that I haven't done before uh, in... Uh, closing here and something we're going to do with every message i want everyone stand up we're going to do something called the battle cry and we're just going to get in the habit of this uh going through uh this series what's amazing is it talks about in deuteronomy in the torah when you go out to battle against your enemies and see the horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the Kohen shall approach and speak to the people. So powerful. And this is what he is to say. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel! Shema Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble. Do not be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Can I get an amen? Amen. And now we're all going to say, we're going to go through this together. Today, we will go to war. We will not fear, we will not faint, and we will not give in to the flesh. We will not give in to our enemies. We will stand, we will fight, and we will conquer through the might of our Lord Yeshua, the coming conquering King. And let us close in this prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen! Shabbat shalom.